end it after the shovel, or will it? Miami running around, circling, oh look out! Gronkowski didn't have the angle! Touchdown! Oh, can you drink? A miracle! Hello, welcome to the Dolphin UK podcast. I'm back from holiday. I know you're all excited about that. I'm not really tanned. It was six degrees in Florida at one point when we were there, so that was um, that was different. So anyway, there you go. Uh, joined by Sai and uh, Lee as always. Lee, how are you, sir? Yep, doing pretty well. Unfortunately, I tested positive for COVID, but it's okay because we record over the internet, so it's absolutely fine. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. Hopefully not getting it via uh, via Zoom, which I'm sure some <laughs> some part of society believes it can. But but still, anyway, we'll go onwards. Uh, Sai, how are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks, Andy. And welcome back to you and Sophie. Hope you had a del- uh, good uh, belated honeymoon. And Lee and I were convinced you were over there for an interview with the Dolphins for their um, head coaching job because um, <laughs> the, the, the timings just worked out. So. Really curious to know how he got on in that space, Andy. I, I did a uh, Peter Roden wingy and parked in the car park. They, <laughs> they, they wouldn't let me in. So. <laughs> that was I'm one back. of the best things ever. <laughs> so I am back. Uh, not the uh, Dolphins head coach, sadly. And uh, I didn't get to go to a playoff game either. I was hoping the Bucks got to the uh, championship game. I could have gone to that. But watched it in a very, uh, very nice bar. Miller's, maybe. That sounds about right. Had some... Um, uh, mozzarella sticks, fantastic, nachos, you know, the whole works. Uh, Sophie took her Nintendo DS and played that instead. So <laughs> a good afternoon was had by all. <laughs> that um, Miller's on International Drive in Orlando? No, it was, uh, I know the way you're on about it, it was actually in Lake Buena Vista, which um, we stayed for the first time rather than staying on International Drive, and we regretted it because uh, you couldn't really walk to anything, and, like, it was fairly, like, Nothing going on in Lake Buena Vista compared to International Drive. There's a top tip for you all. Don't stay <laughs> off that. Um, well, lots has happened since I've been on here. Uh, you guys have like, held the fort uh, down fantastically. Pleased to see that they've hired uh, Mike McDaniel, who's obviously the guy I tipped after I went on a very pro um, harbour start to the <laughs> process. But we ended up in the right place, I think, which is good stuff. Um, we obviously missed the well. I missed the um, Super Bowl uh, preview that you guys did, and of course that was on Sunday. So should we start there? A few thoughts on the Super Bowl, uh, Lee. Your kind of initial take from that? I got this. I thought it was a really good, enjoyable game to watch. Um, I, I, it's funny how some years you find yourself just rooting against the team. I was just I, I didn't really mind who won. Just was really able to enjoy it. Enjoyed the halftime show. Just genuinely thought. It was a good game. I'll be honest, I was kind of glad the Bengals didn't win based solely on the the T Higgins touchdown because I thought it I thought it was OPI watching it live. Um people can say, Oh, are you watching it in slow motion? I to be honest, I thought it was watching it in real time. Yeah. And it if it hadn't resulted in a touchdown, I don't think it's such a problem, but like that play actually resulted in in seven points. So, you know, I for for me, I think the the outcome kind of ended up Right, and I know there were some calls late in the game. People saying, "Oh, the Rams, you know, the Rams are kind of getting some calls now." But those, those calls extended drives. They still had to complete more passes to score. That that one blown call actually led to seven points on the board, and the Bengals taking the lead. So I thought it's it's a huge, 
a huge call. Did think maybe maybe the reason it wasn't called because Jalen Ramsey looked like he was kind of already going to the ground, like he had already lost yeah. his balance. And you know, right or wrong, I suppose you know. I, I just I know had had that been Xavier and Howard going to the floor, I would have been absolutely raging. So you know, hundred percent, man. I was I was a little bit disappointed the Bengals didn't win because I got the Bengals to win the Super Bowl at twenty five to one. Back in week 16, was it? I remember, I think I said to yeah. you guys, and uh, when they went ahead and then when Stafford turned the ball over and they had the chance to go like two scores clear, the cash out went up substantially. And I was just thinking, why would I cash out? It's obviously going to be a Bengals win here. And then I tried to, I was desperately trying to cash out as, uh, as um, Eli Apple failed to pick up Cooper Cup and I didn't do that. So I got zero, which was fantastic. I also had another bet on which I just needed Samaj P. Ryan to get four <laughs> yards. His over, his over under yardage was 3.5 and I'd got that as part of an accumulator and he didn't get four yards and he got held up and the Bengals lost the game. So I didn't win either of my bets, but uh, there we go. So are you, you happy for Matthew Stafford or were you kind of, you know, get Joe Burrow to, to begin the dynasty in Cincinnati? I'm happy for Matt Stafford because of all the misery he's gone through being a member of the Detroit Lions. I think he deserves some success. Personally, I find it very hard to support any team with the name Rams being a Forest <laughs> fan. So I wasn't actively supporting them. I was kind of rooting for the Bengals, but I did predict Rams win on the preview last week, an arrow win. Um, I just worry for Joe Burrow, though, because given the competitive nature of the AFC, I do wonder if that's going to be it for him in the Super Bowl. Because, you've, of course, you've got the likes of Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, um, or we all hope two is going to get up there as well, um, to name a few. And it's a very, very competitive AFC. And I do wonder if they're going to reach the heights again, the Bengals. Um, but we'll see. Um, it, yeah. it's the one thing I hate about this time of year is like oh, a team got beat in the Super Bowl oh well they must win the Super Bowl next year that, that, you know it's <laughs> basically a foregone conclusion you know they're just as likely to be the third worst team you know finish third in that division as go back to the Super Bowl like next year it, people just got to remember like everything's going to be reset by the time free agency comes the draft comes things are just going to look so different for all the teams like you, you can't get too hooked up on it you know I, I, I kind of chuckle a little bit every time you see the conversation on one of the talking head programs. Well, how many Super Bowls is Mahomes going to win? It's not that easy. That's why, you know, got beat the last in sorry, a year ago, didn't make it to this one. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not as simple as he's great, he'll win. You know, you don't just start comparing him to Tom Brady because he looks great on, on a Sunday. He's also beatable, you know, the same as the other teams in the NFR. I just want to go back to that T. Higgins touchdown. I do wonder um, if the officials are told to just let them play. Because if you recall back to the Patriots-Eagles game, there was a very dubious touchdown scored, I think, by the Eagles. It all looked, for all intents and purposes, it looked out of bounds or whether he had control of the ball sufficiently long enough for it to count. And they actually let it stand. And I, so I do wonder if the officials have been told just to let them play out and don't make penalty calls a, a controversial aspect of of the, the Super Bowl. Which is funny because in doing that, it kind of makes it controversial. Yeah. It's, it, it's kind of its own self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? But it, they do seem to let them play a little bit more in the Super Bowl, which you know is a good thing, really. It's weird, isn't it? Because you wouldn't think they'd do that because it kind of 
you know, if it ever got out, it would un- undermine the integrity of the sport. But then I was reading something about baseball the other day, and apparently when there's like a primetime baseball game, they sometimes like juice the baseball. And so you suddenly see a lot more home runs. Like for instance, if you were to watch the Field of Dreams game this year where they played in like rural Iowa, yeah. um, there was home awesome, runs galore. Yeah, there was like home runs galore. You watch the UK games, yeah. home runs galore. And apparently they juice the baseball to make it easier to hit the home run. And then your average sort of game, which is just on local market TV, it's uh, you only see one or two home runs out of push. So it's very interesting. Like American sports, a bit dubious like that, isn't it? Because you, you can't really see that in a like game of uh, football, can you? Kind of the refs are told to, <laughs> to, you know, if it goes in two footed in the first two minutes, just let it go. So that sort of thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a bit different. So that's really interesting, I thought. And uh, I was convinced it wouldn't happen until I read this baseball thing the other day where they basically admitted it. So very interesting. But um there you go, yeah. But that one thing on the Bengals, actually, is just their receiver core is just unreal, isn't it? And they've got that receiver core together for a few more years. But I just found it interesting. This is the first time, I think, in quite a few seasons that nearly all of the first-round um, receivers came through and had a had a very good year. Like Rashad Bateman was injured for most of it, but, but definitely improved the Ravens when he came back. But all three of Waddle, Smith and, and Chase but very good, and and probably you'd rank, rank them in order that they were drafted as well, which is quite rare as well in terms of how good their season was. But, um... Sounds a bit like a law firm, doesn't it? Waddle, Smith and Chase. <laughs> <laughs> I, I imagine very... all the teams that drafted them are very happy right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very good. And uh, yeah, I mean, like it's it's crazy that a receiver, like a rookie receiver, would be able to outshine what Waddle did this year, but Chase is a hell of a player, isn't he? That that catch he made straight at the start of the game on Ramsey, you know, shrugged him off and then brought it in into his chest one-handed was was an incredible play. So. Did, did any of you think it was weird Ramsey was wearing this balaclava in Los Angeles <laughs> where it's ultimate probably quite warm and yet all the game, even post-game celebrations, he's wearing this stupid looking blue balaclava. He'd been wearing it a lot of the season. Yeah, I think he used to do it for Florida State as well, just uh, just a, a thing, I guess. But uh, yeah, here's a bit. It must be pretty sweaty, and uh, I can I can attest to that. Lads, I was going to tell you, I've started a new military fitness class. Um, trust <laughs> me, that was to get rid of all the rubbish I ate in in Florida, and that <laughs> like is like not worth it. Sophie's coming as well. She's she's like, why have you signed us up for this like torture? But uh, anyway, there's a little anecdote for I'm you. A- and one other thing I noticed during the Super Bowl, one of the early Cincinnati drives, I think they were going for it on... They failed to convert a fourth down, didn't they, in the first half? Um, like, and I'm not picking on Chase, but Chase was the one that I saw doing it especially, and you do see it across the league a bit as well. If it's fourth down and you know you're going to run the ball, you still have to put your mouth guard in because otherwise you're just telegraphing what you're doing. You might as well not be there. Like, that... Yeah. I just found that absolutely like pulling your hair out, infuriating. Like uh, you do all this kind of clever stuff. All these teams have got all these play calls, and they cover them out so no one can see what they're doing. Then you know you run all sorts of like pre-snap stuff to try and fool the other team. But then one guy's got his got his um, mouth guard hanging out. It's like, well, <laughs> he ain't doing nothing, is he? <laughs> And that's it. That's the thing I noticed with Kadarius Tony last year, actually, which is why I was glad we didn't. Sorry, I, that was the first time receiver that didn't play well. There you go, just mention <laughs> that. But um, but yeah, he, he used to do that on his Florida tape, and it was very obvious. Sorry, sorry. Who was it, Lee, that had his mouth guard hanging out? Do you remember? It was Chase. 
on the, on, the oh, partic- right. on the particular play that I was looking at. I said, I'm not trying to pick on Jamal Chase, that he did it a couple of times, but it's just, it, I've seen it across the league as well, but you just think it, all the fine kind of minutiae that you hear about, and when you hear coaches speaking about all the really little things they want to do, and they want to get all these things right, they, that just seems like a massive, like alarm bell on the outside. Like, we're pretty sure they're going to run, but we know this guy is definitely not doing anything. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, players do tend to have little tails, don't they? I remember, and this is well before your time, guys, um, Dan Marino used to walk up to the line of scrimmage and do that. And so you kind of thought, hmm, he's going to throw, isn't he? Because he's wet. He's, and for those, and obviously you can't see this, but he used to lick his fingers prior to a pass. It's probably a good job you can't see it. But, uh... Yeah. Yeah, Shall we move on? I remember also seeing one of those, 30, I think it was a 30 for 30 on Football Life, where they were explaining about watching um, defensive linemen's hands in the ground. And if their knuckles had gone white, you could see, you basically see if they were leaning forwards or backwards based on the colour of their knuckles. And it's like, you know, all these really tidy things. And that's why the, the mouth guard thing just gets me every time. It's just like... <laughs> yeah, it was also sorry. interesting to see the uh, um, that McVeigh was kind of, using his call sheet and the broadcast camera zoom right in. Did you guys catch that and all his play calls? You could see them all and like, uh, and then somebody <laughs> screenshot it. It was going around Twitter and you could guarantee that was kind of sat in the Bengals sort of in, in their front bit of the other side in the, in the glass pod, isn't yeah. it? So anyway, all good. Uh, a decent Super Bowl then. Um, not, uh, not quite my favourite of recent times. I think the, I still like the... Um, Eagles beating the Patriots is my favourite one in recent years. That was a really good kind of shootout, wasn't it? So, yeah, I, I enjoyed that game as well, but I've always got a sour taste in my mouth when I think of that game because I was supposed to be on a work trip to Philadelphia that same weekend. <laughs> and I knew that people were arriving on the Sunday and were going to be watching it in the hotel or, the, or a bar. Only my name got missed off the list of attendees on for this particular project, so I never ended up going. And I was oh, totally jealous that all these brutal. non non American football <laughs> fans were there in Philadelphia watching their team win the Super Bowl, and I was stuck at home watching it on TV. Oh, that's grim. I watched that in a bar in New York of like the like most Patriots fans you can imagine. So that was excellent. <laughs> not that I'm not that I'm bitter or anything. <laughs> all, all good fun, right? Uh, Lots of coaching hires. Um, obviously, you guys covered McDaniel uh, in the last episode, but we seem to have fleshed out I think, the vast majority of the coaching staff now. I think there's a couple of holes left, but um, I think we should talk about the uh, a couple of the main guys. And, and we'll start with the defensive side of the ball where the decision was taken to retain Josh Boye. Uh, Lee, kind of thoughts on that right decision? Obviously, con- continuity on what is a been a decent defence anyway? Yeah, I mean, a little bit conflicted because I said all along that I'd really love to see like an experienced head in there. But of course, this this is also the kind of ideal situation in the, the one bit of the team we wanted to retain was, was the defence and this gives us the best chance of doing that. So, I mean, you've got to be generally pretty happy. At, at this stage, and I said this last week on the show, you know, all, all all of what we're doing right now is basically educated guessing. But, I, you know, I think that it's a positive move and saying that we should be pretty pleased about because we know that when when they get it right, this defence is pretty stunning to watch. And it's interesting for me that... Uh, and sorry, 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 I was I was miles away, but I'll, I'll make my points and then you can, you can come in. Um, 
Uh, that's what I do as the as the opening uh, <laughs> <laughs> opening batsman. This is um, a dictatorship. It is indeed. <laughs> um, I was just going to say it's interesting that we've lost uh, Joel Alexander and lost Flores, and um, Boyer kind of remains in between those guys. And I wonder if, like you'd asked six months ago, which of the kind of th- like of those three on the defensive side of the ball would you would you keep? Boy, wouldn't have been named by anyone. So that that's quite interesting. I, I don't know if you expand on that side or I've completely altered the way we're going to go. Yeah, I'll just I won't expand on that actually. Otherwise, I'm going to completely forget the point I was going to make. <laughs> first yeah, well. uh, but the point I was going to make is we were all convinced when the defense changed their direction in the middle of last season and started to perform at the level that we knew they were capable of. Whether it was really Flores that took over the play calling on that defence. He, in his presses, said, no, it wasn't, it was Boyer. But we're going to find out now, aren't we? If the defence kick off next season, playing at that high sustained level as they finish the season, then we, we've got the answer. Well, we're going to get the answer either way because if they revert back, excuse me, to, the, to how they played at the beginning of last season, then clearly he wasn't responsible for the turnaround and you have to wonder, therefore, is it a risk? Yeah, you kind of did go on my point there, by the way. And that was uh, it did work quite well. Go on, Lee. Sorry. <laughs> I th- I think it's it's interesting that w- with some of the stuff we've heard now about the way things were working behind the scenes and the sort of um, the sort of demeanor of Flores, or the way at least it's been portrayed to us in the media right now. Um, I, I wonder if. We were right all along that Flores came back in, called the defense, everything picked up. But Josh Boyan knows everything about that defense. He knows how to make it tick. And I wonder if the, the confidence of a young mind like a, a, a McDaniel is, is going to be the kind of coach who gives his coaches confidence to go out and do their thing. Um, I just, I just wonder if before it was a little bit scared to do something wrong, which leads to playing conservatively, which is kind of what the defense was doing. And I just wonder if that was a reflection of. Of, of what Boyer was doing because of the way he felt within within the building. I mean, I'm completely speculating, but I, Mike McDaniel seems to be the kind of guy that I think is going to, he's not going to shout you, he's going to pat you on the butt and say, look, we need to do this better, or look, go go for it. Like he, The kind of guy who's going to build you up rather than try and break you down. And I just wonder that we, we might see, we, we might not get a true answer because the, the, the sort of feeling in the building would be completely different. And I wonder if um, the, the kind of continuity, I wonder how that will impact the kind of defensive staff that on the field, and obviously we've got, we'll come on to free agents in a bit, but we've got Ogba, uh, that's the kind of outstanding free agent, and then you've also got the Xavier and Howard, do you, what's going to happen there. And I wonder how, whether Boyer's relationships with that's played into the decision at all, or you know the the decision to to bring in Sam Madison, which we'll talk about in a bit, is that's kind of impacting there as well to keep that core together, or do you think it's more likely that there'll be a kind of fresh evaluation of the defensive staff, even uh, even though Boyer's staying? Can't leave back to you. I I, I was just going to say, I you know, kind of along those lines, I I think I I hope this isn't the case of McDaniel couldn't get who he wanted and ended up with with Boyer. As like, well, I can't, I can't get anyone I want in. I'm best off sticking with what's already here. I hope this, this is a decision where he went, yeah, I want that guy. You know, we, we saw rumours of Vic Fangio and some others, and you know, if 
if he went after Fangio and Fangio says, no, I'm taking a year out, that's fine. But if you, if you approach a number of candidates and you end up with the, kind of the last guy, you know, the last person on the list, I, I don't think I'd like the thought of that. Um, but hopefully, like you say, it is that connection, that continuity. It, you know, he, he said in, in one of his interviews, and I must say I've forgotten which one it was because I've listened to so many, like trying to take in all of the ones that he's done. Um that you, you've got to be getting better because you're never, you're never being the same. And this is probably a good example of that. Look, this is the best part of this team. That's, that's not a secret. Like he, he's been brought in because he's an offensive mind. He knows that, it, you know, it's because the offense is a problem. So we need to try and build on the defense and having it exactly the same as last year, he may have felt was, I, I don't want it to be the same. I need, I need it to change. It needs to get, it can still improve. Like, let's be honest, everything can improve. That's the kind of nature of, of, of football. Like, there's always improvement to be had, but it just, yeah, it, it feels like the the right amount of changes to keep the continuity and that connection with the players, but also enough changes to keep it fresh and for it to have his fingerprints on it. Yeah, that's a good um, good way to finish off that, that, that bit there. I think that's a, a nice summary. Uh, offensive side of the ball, uh, we have hired Frank Smith, the run game and offensive line coach uh, from the Chargers, who fulfilled that role for a year with them. be honest, don't know a whole lot about him. I think we're all three of us are going to look at each other and say, don't know a lot about him. But when you look at the way that the sort of Chargers line played last year, much sort of in, well, it's improved on the year before. And I also think they'd lost starting pieces coming into last season. So he'd obviously like, got experience of remodeling uh, an offensive line. Um, you wouldn't look at the Chargers run game and think, wow, that's going to blow me away. But Austin Eckler did have a big season, didn't he? And, and to get something out of a back of that size, that proportion, uh, and the kind of, you know, didn't have any draft capital behind him and to mold him into a, one of the, you know, premier sort of every down backs in the league. He's obviously done something well with uh, with Eckler. And I think that's probably what we're seeing here. So I'll flip to you first. Do you think, obviously, McDaniel's history and uh, with Smith's history, that this is going to become a run-first offence? It's been clear from the outset, ever since we realised McDaniel was a candidate, that if he got the job, it was going to be a run-first um, outfit. And... Nothing that's happened so far has made me change my mind. Um, the thing with Frank Smith and a good old-fashioned English name, isn't it, Frank Smith? Yes, um, uh, centre-back. Bang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he um, developed Rashawn Slater, didn't he, who was a rookie last year and into one of the top offensive tackles in the league. So if you can do that to a rookie, um, maybe there's, there's hope for him doing that the same for Austin Jackson and Liam Eikenberg as well. So can only be a positive move. Grant Lee, your your thoughts? So I think I think a little bit differently. I don't think we're gonna be I don't think it's necessarily run first. I think he just under I think he understands that the quickest way to kill a team is to not be able to run a ball. And I think the biggest way to help you know, we screamed it all last year. Like, we need running. You know, something needs to happen. And we saw when Duke Johnson was playing, well, we all came on here happy and Andy's especially happy. But, you know, we, we saw the team playing better. And I think it, 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 it's not necessarily going to be run first, but it's 
we have to be able to run to do everything else. Like that's what opens up so many more opportunities for us and makes hopefully the development of tour like easier because of that. I also think with Frank Smith, it's funny how he's brought in a run game coordinate, you know, a run game specialist, which is essentially what he was to, to Shanahan last year. He's kind of almost replicating that same. And that feels like a great thing. Look, this is, this is something that he's going to be comfortable because there's obviously going to be changes being the head coach. Like th- there's no real preparation unless you've been a head coach before. Like th- there's going to be some changes, but if you can get some systems in place that you're completely comfortable with, then we, we should hopefully see far less um, struggles for a first time head coach than we've seen in the past. Like, you know, I keep saying that our last two head coaches have struggled because they couldn't build staffs. So you know, trying to build some sort of familiarity for himself as well, I think is really important. The good thing about old Frankie is he's not going to have play calling <laughs> duties to worry about because we know that um, my, my, Daniel, excuse me, is going to take on those responsibilities so he can actually focus and concentrate on the development side um, and getting that those those that run game and um, up to scratch. I guess probably they'll both be involved the same way they both were like, you know Shanahan's calling the plays, but there's also times where you could see that that McDaniel was calling the plays in, you know, for the Niners. I think it's this is truly a collaborative effort, but the buck kind of stops to the head coach. Like he's going to have the, the the final say, which makes obviously perfect sense. But you know, I think he doesn't sound like the kind of guy who's gonna who's got the kind of ego that others have. I, I don't know. Maybe that's just because he's doing well in press conferences. For, for my mind, but. He seems like a collaborative effort actually makes sense and that he can see the benefits of that over over some of the others. Whereas it felt like we had a collaborative effort at OC last year because we couldn't find anyone else to do the job. Yeah, interesting, man. I'm going to have to find one of those like reaction clips where it's from Gavin and Stacey where somebody that, um, somebody's like shouting at James Corden's Smithy character so we can use that one <laughs> whenever something goes well. <laughs> Smithy! Um, good stuff. Uh, and and Smith is joined by uh, Daryl Bevel as the new quarterbacks coach, which is quite, it's quite interesting hire for me because obviously so Jags OC last year didn't really kind of pull up any roots in that role. But when you look at his experience over the last few years of the Seahawks uh, offensive coordinator, when they were kind of, you know, developing Russell Wilson into a hell of a guy, um, worked with Matt Stafford at the Lions in the same role and then on to Trevor Lawrence. That's a lot of quarterbacks and a lot of like, high calibre, very good quarterbacks that he's worked with Um you know, I know that we kind of sat here this time last year and said, wow, it's great that we've hired uh, a quarterback's coach who's worked with Tua before. But this feels like something which, you know, I'm not to be overly optimistic, but this feels like something might be better for him. Somebody who's got that experience in the league, somebody who's developed quarterbacks of different styles. You, you know, I just named those three quarterbacks and you probably wouldn't compare them overly in, in terms of style and substance. So something for, to, to, to help Tua a lot whilst... Smith maybe focuses in on developing the game around to her and they just leave Bevel to, to, and McDaniel to kind of work with the quarterback himself. Think that sound about right, Si? Yeah, I, I think he's also coached Brett Favre as well, I, I seem to recall yeah. hearing. Um, so he's certainly got a good um, number of quarterbacks on his resume that he can say he's worked with. So it can only be a positive move. Fingers crossed there was somebody who does left-handed quarterback. Sorry, they go on. <laughs> no, no. I was just going to say, I think it's really important that, 
you know, you say those quarterbacks aren't necessarily similar or aren't necessarily similar to Tua. I think that's incredibly important. And I think this could bring me on to something else as well. But I think if you have success with one type of quarterback, that doesn't mean you can do it with all of them. So that makes that's probably why you're more excited. You're seeing that this guy can do it with different types of players. So there's no reason to suspect he can't do it with the type of player that we have. And I think that's a little bit of the trap people have been falling into since the McDaniel hire is who's going to be Debo Samuel? Well, no one, because they're not Debo Samuel. He's going to find a way to get the best out of the players that we have. And that means they could be better than what Debo Samuel bought. It's just going to be different. You know, he. Well, if you hear him on the Levitard show, talk, you know, when they brought up Jalen Wardle, like, he's incredibly excited. That doesn't mean he's going to use him in the same way Debo Samuel, because he's not the same body type as Debo Samuel. But because he's not, it means he can do other things with him. Do you know what I mean? It's just as exciting. But just because he came out of one system doesn't mean, well, we have to find Trent Brown because Trent Brown did this. Well, that's fine. But if he didn't have Trent Brown, he would have done something else. So that's just as exciting. And I think, you know, we've got to be careful. This doesn't feel the same as, as Brian Flores, who was very, very specifically going out to replicate what, they did in New England. Hey, we, we, we were able to pick a lot of um, draft picks correctly, a lot of free agent pickups correctly, because their type was very, very obvious. But if you listen to McDaniel and take him for his word, which is kind of all we can do right now, he wants to be open-minded and get the most out of the players he has. That doesn't mean going out and just getting the players that he had on, on, on an old team and trying to replicate that. And I think that's exciting. It's, um, go on, go on. You go. I won't interrupt you again. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say on that interview that you referenced, Lee, he, didn't he come out and say, if I was playing fantasy, yeah. I'd pick Jalen Waddle. Yeah. So for all you fantasy enthusiasts out there, go and get Jalen Waddle, especially in Dynasty. <laughs> you heard it from the head coach. <laughs> yeah, you heard it from him. So you clearly he's got plans for him. Yeah, just um, just really exciting, I think. And uh, the free, we'll talk a bit about free agents in a bit and go on to more detail in, in future episodes. But the fact that you know, we're probably not going to be just targeting former Patriots players, just uh, <laughs> fills with some excitement ahead of the uh, ahead of that kind of bits that we've got coming up. Um, other offensive uh, hires, uh, both from the 49ers um, in terms of wide receivers and tight ends. John Embry's come over as tight ends coach. And I think also a his- assistant head coach. And then uh, everyone's favourite short wide receiver, Wes Welker. He's <laughs> back. Go on, site. Apparently Wes Welker's supposed to be the next up and coming young head coach. So I'm really, sounds really promising that he's, uh, Mike McDaniels managed to pull him away from the Niners. Um, certainly, again, referencing Debo Samuel. Uh, I think he was a bit, he was. excuse me, yeah, gutted that um, he'd lost his coach and his wide receiver coach. So that surely must bode well. The tight end coach, John Embry, have to admit, don't know much about him whatsoever. Um, but for those of you who are old enough, the only John Embry I know, he used to play cricket for England. Um, he was a spinner uh, back in the day. So if if it is him, then watch out for um, Gesticki <laughs> scoring a touchdown and spinning, spinning it, doing an off spin in the end zone or something. But um, so, yeah, I don't know much about John Embry, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely feels exciting for like, we said it towards the end of the season, or oh, I don't know if they're going to want to bring a Gaseki back. They didn't seem to be able to find a good way to use him. Didn't necessarily seem happy. Even though he hit career highs, as, as Simon brought up a couple of weeks ago, in a bunch of categories. 
But all of a sudden now, he seems like an absolute must-have because of what they're able to do at the tight end position. Now, again, going back to what I said all of two minutes ago, that doesn't mean he's going to be George Kittle, but it means I'm sure they can find some exciting things to do with a guy who's that athletic and has that sort of catch radius. Means Durham Smythe's going to be George Kittle, mate. That's what. <laughs> also, also um, they they brought in the. Why can't I remember his name? Apple Applebaum. Applebaum. Yeah, I was going to yeah. go on to him. Yeah, um, which is funny, a... being a Boston College guy, but also, you know, hopefully gives some insight into into getting Hunter Long going. Yes, good point on that, and and just the kind of that high level of that uh, Eagles Boston College Eagles. Um, offensive line the last couple of years it's just like that's where he's got the job it's been absolutely fantastic one of the best units in college football you've got Zion Johnson Alec Lindstrom going into the draft this year both of which I'd be surprised were on the board and the Dolphins picked first but you never know um so that would might be a hand in glove sort of fit if we haven't gone after the offensive line in free agency but just that that's one of the more exciting hires for me I, I just think that's one of those coaches who's on the up has done a fantastic job and it's kind of that's what McDaniel is kind of forward thinking he wants to bring in the up and coming guys that are you know going to be his coaching tree one day and, and you know, just brought that all together um, last coach in hire will mention uh, uh, Sam Madison new cornerbacks coach uh, coming from the Chiefs Sai, you're going to tell us all about Sam Madison because I'm too young and I'm still 30. (laughs) (laughs) If you ever get a chance to take in some clips on YouTube, watch the period Sam Madison played, especially when he was alongside Pat Sertan on the other side as well, because those two cornerbacks almost made that defence. And and Sam Madison is an all-time Dolphins legend. So for him to now be on staff after getting a few years' experience, as you say, Andy, at the Chiefs, can only be a good thing because if I was a young Dolphins cornerback, I would want to learn from Sam Madison, who's one of the greats. So from that perspective, you you look at Noah Ogne and think, can Sam Madison have a big influence on the on the direction of his career, which let's face it, hasn't been that facing upwards too much. Um, similarly, I'm sure he can offer more to the likes of Xavier Howard and, and Byron Jones as well, as well as the younger players like Nick Needham if he's retained. So all of that knowledge and that experience of a Pro Bowl cornerback, um, again, seems to be a really solid hire for the Dolphins. Hey, your thoughts? I mean, it's, it, I think it's always great when you can bring, bring back a player that's been a big part of the team in the past. Um, he's obviously got got some experience now. Um, I believe winning a Super Bowl ring with the Chiefs. Did he win a Super Bowl ring as a player with the Giants as well? He might have after been. leaving the Dolphins. I, I think I sorry, I can't exactly remember. Um, I was lucky enough to meet him in London, seems like a great guy, but it seems it also seems like a great fit for you know, you lose Gerald Alexander, but also you bring in someone that's been working with high caliber, someone who was a high caliber player himself, understands the position, which I think probably also makes it easier to to kind of get that information across to the players when you've actually been there and done it it's something that you can't obviously replicate um look he's obviously got some fairly good teaching skills because his son's pretty good as well so um hey it's it's got i think it's it's got potential to be a really you know great pick and i would imagine he's probably pretty happy to be a dolphin again Yes, sir. Yeah. He's um, time. Uh, Tyrone Matthew uh, just tweeted a, a while ago as well to say how 
you know, sad he was to lose him, but what a great guy he was. So all the uh, endorsements coming forward for the for the new coach and stuff. Sorry, Sai, you were going to give us a stat, and now you're going to give us a stat. <laughs> I, was, I was just I was just going to confirm that Sam Addison did win a ring with the Giants. Yeah. Um, uh, and I seem to recall when he did come over a few years ago um, that you mentioned you met him, Lee. I think he attended the walkthrough on the Friday and he was did. there. That's right, man. <laughs> yeah, and he was also outside Wembley Stadium pre-game on the Sunday, and I'm pretty sure he was wearing his ring at that time yeah. as well. So, yeah, he did, he did win one with the Giants and, of course, the Chiefs. Amazing. There we go. Uh, right, that's the coaching staff. Overall, last thought on the coaching staff for now. Uh, positive? You're happy, Lee? Yeah, you excited? Yeah, I'll be honest. Like the last time we went through this, when we hired Brian Flores, I was a bit like, didn't really see that one coming. Don't know, you know. Even when they got down to the last three, and Chris Richard was in there, Brian Flores was in there. I was a bit like, oh, I don't really know who I want. Not really sure. Like. This time, I feel really positive about it. I, I think the most important thing to me is it feels like he's a t- teacher. He feels like he he wants to get his point across. He knows how to to educate players and bring them along. And, you know, Adam Gates needed players to be ready-made. There's no development. We saw last year, you know, like our biggest gripe with a lot of things that have gone wrong is the O-line didn't develop. Like, we saw flashes from Austin Jackson in his first year. We saw flashes from... Um, Liam Eikenberg, but again, took a dip, then came back up again. But, you know, I think that, that teaching part of it is is lost and and kind of sometimes underappreciated. I just get, I don't know. It feels like that's the kind of coach that he wants to be and that, that gets me excited. I mean, it all sounds fairly promising in terms of the experience and the, the knowledge and the, the fact that, they, like you say, Lee, they all seem to be, want to want to teach, but we haven't seen anything on the field yet. So I think it's too early to know whether these these appointments are going to work out or not. Let's see what the on-field product looks like before we start to to make a real judgment. Grand. Well, that was a, a good bit of back and forward. Probably haven't got a whole lot of time to to talk free agency, but let's just have a run through some of the Dolphins guys that are kind of uh, going onto the market as it stands um, at the moment and. And Sai, you've got a nice, nice little game for us, haven't you? How how are we going to do it instead? Was it <laughs> retain, release, and something else? I got to Yeah, I was going to do the American football equivalent of kiss, marry, kill, um, but I couldn't work out what the categories were. So it's going to be <laughs> re-sign, tag, or release. There I think go. the three categories. That's what we like. Okay, well, tell you what I'll do. I'll pick three three our free agents for each of you, and you can make a decision between them. So you're going to go first, and you're going to choose between Emmanuel Ogba, Mike Gazicki, and Mac Hollins. Um, so Emmanuel Ogba uh, resign, um, Mike Gazicki resign, um, Mac Hollins. Did you say? Yeah, yeah, resign him as well. <laughs> There you go. I was going to say that you had to pick one of each. Oh, did I? Oh, sorry, yeah, Andy. I didn't realise. I thought you gave us right. three each. I was going to say that's it. Yeah, I am. Yeah, that's, that's the yeah, that's the three easiest things you could have taken. <laughs> but um, no, I didn't explain it very well. If I was doing it, I'd go resign Ogba, tag Gazicki, and release Hollins. Despite the fact I love Mac Hollins, but uh, what do, what do you reckon to that? Is that is that if, going back? If you'd done that. That way, would you be happy or would you want to be tagging Ogba and re-signing Gazicki or whatnot? Yeah, I, I think there's a good chance Gazicki would be tagged, um, especially if he wants wide receiver money. 
and they're not prepared to pay that. Which, incidentally, why can't he convert to a wide receiver? If there's if if there's doubts around him being suitable for uh, being a blocking tight end, if because that's what Mike McDaniel's tight ends need to do, and he's if he's not very good at that, why can't they officially convert him to a wide receiver? Because that's a unit that's clearly lacking. Just, just thought I'd throw that one out there. Does, does it cost it re- more money? Yeah, there's that. But doesn't it revolve around <laughs> snap count as well? Like they like someone's tallied up percentage of snap counts and if it's a certain percentage like if he was lined up as a wide out it's a bit like why Kyle Pitts couldn't win the best like something wide receiver award in college because he spent a certain amount of snaps lined up at tight end I have to say something like that I think but I might be wildly wrong but um yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I wonder if the, the flip might be the better long-term option for the, for the Dolphins, like re-signing Kaziki long-term and just tagging Ogba. I think Ogba's getting, you know, he's not getting on, is he? But he's later in his 20s uh, and might be a kind of two-year deal rather than five-year sort of um, proposition. So, yeah. And Mac Hollins, I would love to keep Mac Hollins. If we can, I hope we do it. I think it'd be kind of energy you get from him on the field the special teams contributions it all adds up to like such an undervalued and underrated player doesn't it so Lee you you bringing him back yeah I mean I I mean I'd love to bring them all back same same as Simon tried to um <laughs> but, but I mean yeah the, the more I think about it, the more excited I am for Kaseki and I'm making the priority I just I don't know I'm excited to see what this coaching staff could potentially do with a guy with that skill set like I say it might not be exactly what they had before but I think they can find interesting ways to get an awful lot out of a player with that sort of talent. Spot Rack, which is the um, kind of free agency website, which uh, Cy Healthy linked earlier, reckons that Kaziki has a market value of $11 million a year and should be signing a four-year, $44 million deal. If that was put on front of you, sign, you had to make a call, would you be signing up on that? Yeah, if I was playing, are you asking Simon if he would sign for forty-four million? No, I'm asking if he was the GM and that was the offer. Like, would you go? Yeah, that's a good offer. You can you can offer him forty-four million. Difficult to say because you don't know what his agent's expectations are, do you? So, um, they probably have got something upwards of that. Because let's face it, they're gonna they're gonna they're not gonna accept market value, are they? They're gonna want more. If you look at Dallas Goddard, who was same uh, the same draft class, went in the same region, four years, fifty-seven uh, million for Dallas Goddard. So that feels more realistic, doesn't it? Austin Hooper signed for four years, forty-two million last year. Under Henry, three years at thirty-seven point five. So it feels like it's going to be in the thirteen, fourteen million a year uh, region, doesn't it? And that feels probably quite reasonable for someone who's got the potential and ability that we know Gaziki's got. Right, Lee, your three players to choose from. A bit more niche. Um, Elandon Roberts, Nick Needham, and let me find someone else who's done anything on this team. Will uh, Fuller. Yeah, Will, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure that's quite easy, but Will Fuller's the third one. Go on. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if you'd tag I mean, any I, of them, but you can have I, 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 I know you, de- you desperately want me to get rid of Will Fuller, but I don't know. Because I'm not convinced <laughs> that he's I'm not convinced he's actually that much healthier than the Landon Roberts. The Landon Roberts plays three snaps a game and then goes to the goes to the locker room <laughs> and then comes back for another three snaps. <laughs> which is incredibly exciting because I mean he he rattles bones, but 
<laughs> it always seems to be to his own to his own detriment. Um, who else did I have in there? Was it Nick uh, Needham? Yeah, Nick Needham. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd bring Nick Needham back. Um, I, I think he, he's been superb. I just, I just don't know if you can afford to put that sort of money into him, Xavier Howard, and Byron Jones. And if it comes to it, I want Xavier Howard. So, um, yeah, let, let's say that. Let's let Will Fuller walk, and we'll keep the other two. I don't, don't know. Say <laughs> that. Hang, hang on, no, no. I'm tagging Will Fuller because I, I'm going to hold out some sort of hope. I'm not tagging the Landon Roberts at, at linebacker money. <laughs> uh, all good fun uh, I don't think that worked as well as we planned beforehand but that's fine <laughs> we only had two players that could have been tagged so uh, anyway that was, thankfully that was it was still more organised than the Jags front office so here 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 um, just out of interest spot ranked value of a Landon Robert sorry I've, uh, sorry I've got a Landon Roberts in the brain now of Emmanuel Ogba is 10.1 million a year again that feels slightly cheap I guess if you look at like Jerry Hughes getting sort of 11 million a year. Trey Hendrickson uh, with the Bengals got 15 million uh, a year over four years as well. So I mean, I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into it like in the next couple of weeks, but it, the interesting comparison is what's on the market that you can get at that same value. Do you know what I mean? I know it's good to have the player that you know and has been on the team. And, you know, we love what Ockman's done for sure. But we also know that he was apparently not enamoured with the last coaching staff. So that would say is in our favour that they're no longer here, even though Boyer is. So again, an interesting component. But sometimes I think you have to look, if, if, if you can see Ogbo on there at 10 million, but you can see like someone else on there at eight or nine, like, and you like the production, then, I don't know, free agency is such an interesting time, especially as we start to see some players get cut for, for cap reasons as well coming up it you know that pool's gonna get real interesting faced with that scenario lee where it's six or one and a half a dozen of the other would you not want to stick with ogba who's got the familiarity and the and the performances under his belt in terms of playing in that defense surely that must count for something yeah but i mean also if, if he wants to test free agency then is he that committed to coming back then does that put it slightly in the other? I, I don't know. I mean, it's a really tough one. Like, I'd love to see it get wrapped up before free agency is even a thing. Oh, good. Um, one other uh, interesting one which seems to be doing the rounds is that um, Makai Becton uh, appears to be available from the Jets um, at left tackle. Uh, first round pick is apparently the price. Um, and I wonder if we're sat at. Uh, 29 aren't we that's um that you, you drop that over Lee shaking his head come on I, I don't I imagine the price is a first round pick unless you're in the AFC yeah. East like if, if I was outside the AFC East yeah I'm giving up a pick at where we are for Mackay Beckton and, and thinking that you know I can kind of revive revive that a little bit I, I don't think he was terrible he was no. more you know that that was a terrible team he was put in a bad situation and then he started playing hurt which is you know, a terrible thing for any player, and that never ends well for anybody. Um, but I just, I just imagine that if it's a first round pick, it's probably two first round picks for us. So, yeah. but yeah, I mean, hey, if that was the price to get him and we could have him, then like, yeah, absolutely. And actually, trading that pick is definitely an interesting conversation to have. I mean, tackles are at premium, so why would the Jets want to simply trade away a premium player 
at, at a position where they're desperately going to have to fill anyway because of who their quarterback is. What's what's the issue? Why? It sounds a bit fishy to me. Backup played better. Something like that, isn't it? Um, the, I, I, can't, I can't remember his name. He, he played well against us. He, he was hurt in the first game against us and played well in the second game, I believe. But a friend of mine's a Jets fan. He was like, yeah, I trade Mackay Beckton at a heartbeat. He said, because insert player's name here because bugger me, can I not remember it? He was like, he, he was far superior when he was on the field and they don't believe Mackay Beckton can play right tackle. Interesting. Well, there we go. We'll have to uh, keep an eye on that. I've seen the Bengals heavily linked with him as well, given their draft capital and uh, you know their newfound sense of uh, worth as a team. Um, so we will leave it there for this week, then, guys. I think we're low on time, and I think we're going to have some exciting news in the coming weeks, hopefully. So stay Simon tuned signed that. for forty-four million dollars. Yes, yeah. he has. <laughs> whilst resigning the whole team, um, which is fine. <laughs> Good stuff, guys. Any any parting wisdom before we get out of here? No, shake to the head all round, as always. <laughs> Speak to you <laughs> soon. Looking forward to a fun uh, free agency and draft period anyway.